right, Merry Christmas. So appreciate you being here this morning. I don't know what you've got planned for the rest of your day, but I've got a honey-baked ham calling my name right after this service, so looking forward to that. And uh, we haven't opened our presents yet, so we're going to get together this afternoon and do that. There'll be 22 of us there, and, uh, and uh, half of them, exactly half, are eight years old and younger. So uh, if nobody hears from us in the next day or two, please check on us. Um, they may have taken over. Uh, whatever you've got planned, I hope you have just a great day. You know, as believers today, we do celebrate. We, we're not going to let ourselves be deterred. We're not going to let ourselves be distracted from celebrating the birth of our Savior. We celebrate the light that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Hopefully, uh, you hit one of our services this weekend, whether it was in Northwood or in Tiffin or here in Fremont. If you did, you know we left off in John 1 at verse 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 this morning. John 1 verse 15 that says this, John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So some well-known verses, we're going to come back to them in just a minute. But just after this, John the Apostle, who's writing this, is going to go on to tell us some more about John the Baptist and his ministry. And John the Apostle tells us there's this group of guys who are sent to question John the Baptist about who he was and what he was doing. So he's, he's dealing with that. And then we pick it up down in verse 24. It says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So these guys are sent from the Pharisees to question John. And his response to them and his view of who Jesus is gives us something to celebrate. We're just going to skip through some of these verses, think about some of the reasons we're celebrating. And some pretty obvious reasons. It's pretty simple, which to me seems right on Christmas morning that it should be simple. Uh, what we notice first here, we notice that we celebrate because of his greatness. I mean, think about it. We're told back in verse 15 that John said, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. 
And we usually read that sort of like that, pretty normally. But the text tells us he didn't just say it. He cried it out. He's yelling this. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. Sort of unusual to be yelling that out, don't you think? But John was sort of unusual. We know he was. He, he was, he was unusual in what he wore. Camel's hair, he was unusual in what he ate. Locust. And then we, he said, when we, he sent some guys to ask Jesus whether or not he was the Messiah in Matthew 11. We read, read there in Matthew 11, verse 7, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about him. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. So it's sort of different. Because what most people do when they teach or preach, if someone goes to see the, the question that you might be asked would be, what did you go out to hear? What did he say? But that's not what Jesus asked. He asked, what did you go out to see? See, John was an attraction. He was something to look at. And here he is again, doing something unusual, yelling this out. And why? Well, it's not just because he's different. It's because he's, what he's saying is so true and because it's a big deal. It's important that the crowd hears that Jesus has a higher rank. In fact, Jesus has an infinitely higher rank, higher than any person to ever live. And with that higher rank comes authority and privilege. And he deserves it all. John told us why he has his higher rank. He said, he, hey, he existed before me. Now, if you know anything about John and Jesus' lives, you're thinking, what's he talking about? You know, how could John say he existed before me? John was six months older than Jesus. And John knew that because they were related. They were family. Their moms were related to each other. So he knows Jesus' age. Of course, and remember in those days, age was normally a factor of, of honor. You got more honor the older you were. But John's obviously not talking about physical age. He's talking about the same thing that John the Apostle talked about in verse 1 that we looked at this weekend. The fact that Jesus was already there when time began. And he's saying the same thing that Jesus himself said when he said in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. It's a claim, a claim that he existed before time. He existed before creation, before Abraham. He existed before becoming flesh. See, he's not bound by time. He's greater. This light that we're celebrating is the highest rank. And the fact, that fact, impacts all our lives. It's sort of like the argument made in the book of Hebrews. It's a great book. The writer was writing to primarily Jewish believers. But some of those who claim to be believers, at one point or another, because of pressure or persecution, they're walking away. So he takes the time to talk about the things that they would normally turn to, to rely on instead of Jesus. You know, things they were going back to. Things like angels and Moses and the sacrificial system 
and priests and the law, all the things that they would have turned to. But the writer of Hebrews makes the point that Jesus is superior to all of them. He's better than any of these. He's greater than any of their other options. So he's challenging his readers, don't quit. Why would you quit? Why would you go to something that's less? I think of a book like that was being written today in our time to people like us. It would probably be talking about the things that people typically turn to today for fulfillment. Things like money, relationships, things like believing in certain what they believe are intellectual arguments, material things, living for the moment, pleasure. And for some people, what they turn to, think about this, they turn to Christmas. They turn to Christmas hoping that it's picturesque and peaceful and it brings some measure of happiness to their lives. It's very sentimental for them. But they want all of that without actually turning to Jesus. It's sad. And I think if a book like Hebrews was being written today, it would challenge all the things that people think will bring meaning to their lives right now. And the exact same point can be made that no matter what people turn to, Jesus is greater than them all. Why would you choose something that's less? John goes on to give an example of how great Jesus is when he said, hey, he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I don't know if you'd know for sure, but you could probably guess what, whose job it was in that time to untie someone's sandals. It was a slave's job. It was their job after their boss had had a long, hard day's work to stoop down, unloosen the sandals, and take them off. How'd you like that for part of your job? Your boss comes and sticks his foot out to you. It's like, no thanks, you know. What John's saying here is, in contrast to how great Jesus is, I am not even worthy to be his slave. And we get that, don't we? I mean, that's the same viewpoint that all of us who've come to know him should have of ourselves. Not worthy. Not worthy to be a slave. Jesus talked about that in Luke 17. He said, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. When we've done all that we've been commanded, which none of us do, right? I mean, none of us get even close to that. All that we've been commanded. But if there was some way, if we did, if we did everything we've been commanded, everything, even then, we should say, I'm still an unworthy slave. I've only done what I should do. I'm not worthy to be his slave. 
But I want to point out, the emphasis here is not on us thinking how, about how low we are. The emphasis is on how high Jesus is. And that's the light we celebrate today. So great. But John's not done yet pointing out his greatness. When he says in verse 34, this is the son of God. I mean, that's obviously a big claim. The son of God. There's no claim that's higher. You know, sometimes you see the phrase before only begotten. In fact, the word begotten is used twice in this chapter. Most famously, probably you know from John 3.16. He gave his only begotten son. It's actually sort of a hard word to translate. There's not really an exact parallel in the English. Plus, people would say, well, the word begotten today, nobody uses that. It's sort of misunderstood. So some translations ha have that as one and only, his one and only son. I, I think of it a little like when like Ohio State fans call Ohio State the Ohio State, you know? Like it's the one and only Ohio State, which works for a university, but one and only in talking about Jesus, it's missing something. See, the point isn't that God has a child, an only child. It's more than that. The Greek word, monogenes, mono being one, we, we get that, only. Genes, the verb form genao, is, means to, to produce offspring. It's, a, it's where we get our word genes. See, there's a parallel between what happens in us genetically from generation to generation. As you get together with your family today, there's a physical link that ties us together in families. And there's a parallel between that and what exists between God the Father and God the Son. Because there's a, there's a link, there's a spiritual link, a link in nature that ties them together. And because of that link, Jesus has a higher rank. He existed eternally. He's the son of God. He's the son of God by nature and from eternity. Equal to the Father in knowledge, in honor, in creative and redemptive power, in dominion. See, it's way more than an only child. It's pointed to the unique tie of the same nature between the Father and the Son. And so we're celebrating his greatness. And that's exactly what caused his first followers to follow him. Because his greatness is life-changing. People want to be, I mean, take a look at what happened here. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So these two disciples, they're, they're listening to John. They're following John until he points out this is the Lamb of God, pointing to his greatness. And because of that statement, they leave John. They start following Jesus. And then it continues, verse 38. And Jesus turned and said to them following and, said, and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying he said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard him speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, 
which translates means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So you got Andrew passing on what he knew about who Jesus is. First to his brother Peter. And Peter, what's he do? He starts following. Uh, this is the Messiah. I want to f- That's who I want to follow. This is who we've been looking for. That's who I want to follow. It continues, verse 43, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and who the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and seize. Now, so now Philip is telling Nathaniel who Jesus is. Nathaniel's not quite convinced, so Philip invites him to come and take a look, find out. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that you saw that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus shows Nathaniel something of who he is, and he's supernatural. He tells him who he knows him to be and where he's been. And Nathaniel becomes fully convinced. You are the son of God. Jesus is like, you, you believe because of what I just showed you? You're going to see greater things than this. The point being, all these guys started following him. Why? Because of who he is, his greatness. It's life-changing Just like that greatness has been life-changing for many of us. And that's why we celebrate today. But there's another reason. Because it's not only about his greatness. It's also about his grace. Especially in light of this greatness. I mean, can you imagine with him being that great, that awesome, what our lives would be like if he never reached out to us with grace? We'd be in a desperate situation. We'd stand condemned, guilty before God, facing eternal judgment. And our lives would be spiritually empty, wouldn't they? Thankfully, he reached out to us with grace. John says, back in verse 16, of his fullness we've all received. Of his fullness we've all received. Think about that. I mean, it is a holidays. We understand something about fullness, right? I'm, I'm going to with that ham. More than satisfied. We eat until we're full, but we're talking about something much more meaningful here. We're talking about a fullness of life where we are more than satisfied. We, we've talked about it before, this word, this Greek word, the word pleroma, it's for fullness. 
It was a buzzword at the time. Everybody was looking for it. Everybody liked talking about Play Roman, the fullness. They wanted to talk about it. They, wanted, they were looking for it. They were pursuing it in their lives. They wanted Play Roma. People still want that in their lives, don't they? They don't even know it, but they want that. I mean, that's why people talk about their lives mattering today. People want lives that matter. They, they want a life that has fullness to it. Well, our fullness, our purpose and meaning as believers comes from him. Of his fullness, we've all received the fullness of living for the Father, the fullness that will never be exhausted. It's always full. Our lives are full because, because we've received of his fullness. That's not just any source. It's not a source that runs out. It's not a source that runs dry. We've received fullness of his fullness, an infinite source that we've all received. That's his grace to us. And notice it's not some of, us, some of us that have received. It's not some select few. It's not some special people. It's not people who have attained a certain level. No, we've all received. All who've become his. All who've trusted in him for salvation. All of us have received. And he didn't, we didn't just receive it once or twice. No, we received, as he says here, grace upon grace. It's a perpetual, ongoing succession of blessings. All the great spiritual blessings that we've been given, like when he forgave us of every last sin that we've ever committed or ever will commit. Like when he brought us into his family and made us heirs, made us co-heirs with Christ. Like when he promised us eternal life. The fact that he never leaves us by ourselves to deal with the issues of life. And he gives us strength to handle all that comes our way. All of those blessings, grace upon grace. And then on top of all that, which, which is the most important, he also extends grace to us with all the physical and material blessings that just keep coming. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, infinitely, like the waves of the ocean that just keep coming, wave after wave after wave. But especially the grace that is the continual cleansing and keeping of us as his children. All of that came to us because of grace. This great, powerful one that we celebrate has reached out to us with an eternal flow of grace. In contrast to the law, verse 17 pointed out that the law was given through Moses. You know, sometimes we talk about the law as, as if it was something bad. The law wasn't bad, the law was good. It was good for what it was meant for, but it was limited. In itself, it didn't provide a permanent solution to our problem. It just made it obvious that we had a problem. We needed more. We needed grace and truth that came through Jesus. Hebrews 10 says, for the law, since it has only, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have the consciousness of sins. 
But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. A reminder of sins. So for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, there, the law is just a shadow. But those sacrifices were a constant reminder year by year of sin. And those sacrifices had to be repeated because they couldn't take away our... They couldn't. Did you notice the, the word? They weren't able to make us perfect. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. You know why he uses that word? Because in order to be in relationship with God, we have to be perfect. Not going to happen, is it? We're messed up. People constantly trying, as we, we know, people always looking to sit and you're thinking, oh, am I, I going to be good enough? Am I going to be good enough? Do you realize there is no good enough? God says, God's word says, in order to be in relationship with God, we have to be perfect. I can't do that. I'm in trouble. And that was the whole point of Jesus coming, right? So that he could pay the penalty for us. And in taking my sin and your sin on himself, he offered to us in exchange his righteousness, his perfection. Credited to us. That's his grace. When we place our trust in him, he extends that grace to us. And that's what John was pointing out when he saw Jesus come and he said, behold, hey, look right there. That's the Lamb of God who takes away, doesn't just cover it. He takes away the sin of the world. Unlimited grace offered to a guilty world, offered to all of us. Sin, take it away. It's interesting, John says here, the Lamb of God, I didn't know him. And again, remember, John and Jesus were family. John's saying, all those family get-togethers we had, all the holidays where we got together and his family, I didn't, I, I didn't know he was the Lamb of God. Didn't, didn't realize that. But now I see it. Think about that. My guess is, as you get together with family today, nobody's going to make the mistake that you or I are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not going to happen, right? Pretty safe guess. You know why? Because they know what mess-ups we are. But with Jesus, here's family that knows him best and saw him most, that knows exactly who Jesus is. And when John is told that Jesus is the Lamb of God, he accepts it as truth, which I think points to the fact that Jesus' life had to be consistent with the truth of who he was. And now John recognizes him as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, Amazing grace. We're celebrating the light today. 
and whatever you do with the rest of your day, I hope it's a day of celebrating his greatness and celebrating his grace. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and you enjoy family and friends and food and gifts, all the blessings of God that he's given to you today. But most of all, enjoy him. How good has he been to us? And if you have questions about what it means to know him, there'll be pastors in room one back here. Glad to talk to you. Have a great Christmas.